Father, in the quietness of this moment, we pause now to ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we consider this teaching from your word. May each one listening hear your voice and the specific message you have for them today. Give us understanding and conviction, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin with a story. It's a familiar story, but don't write it off as, oh, I've already heard that. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. In fact, we find that this is his last trip from Galilee down to Jerusalem, his final trip. And um, according to the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, this familiar story took place near Jericho. So he's been traveling about 75 miles to come to Jericho area, and his destination is Jerusalem. That's another 12 miles or so. He's almost there. We find him in a common setting. You know in the Gospels we read about Jesus and how he was always teaching. So we find him in a setting where he is teaching. We also know the identity of some of the people in the crowd that surround him. There are priests, Levites, Pharisees, and a lawyer with a question. As recorded in the little book, Christ Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, we read that among the Jews, the question, who is my neighbor, caused many disputes. In fact, they were arguing about this question all the time. Many Jews had no doubt in their minds as to the heathen and the Samaritans, certainly not their neighbors in any way. They were constantly arguing about something different. It was what distinction should be made among the people of their own nation, the Jewish nation, and among the different classes of the Jewish society. So that's what the arguing about. Here's the bottom line. The question was, whom should the priests, the rabbis, and the elders regard as their neighbors? These leaders spent um, much of their time, a lot of their time, maybe not much of it, but a lot of their time, making sure they were pure, citing that the requirements of certain systems, beliefs, and ceremonies needed to be uh, done all the time, all the time. And uh, you may be remembering uh, that reading Matthew 15:2 in that area, that at least one occasion the leaders said to Jesus, your disciples do not follow the practice of ceremonially washing their hands. They transgress the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands before they eat bread. In addition, these Jewish leaders taught that contact with the ignorant, the uneducated, and the careless multitude would require a lot of time-consuming efforts to remove all the impurities that they would have picked up. In other words, more ceremonies, more washings. Were they to regard the unclean as their neighbors? This was the topic of their endless arguments. Using whatever version you have now of your Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 10. 
And if you're using the Bible that's in the pew pocket, this uh, chapter begins on page 699. So Luke chapter 10, and you guessed it, we're going to be reading about the Good Samaritan. We will begin with verse 25. So it's Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The, I'm using the Andrews Study Bible, which is a New King James Version. And um, in the notes, the, a, a lawyer that's being described here is defined as an expert in the law of Moses. And in the King James Version of the Bible, the words tempted him instead of tested him help to explain that the question the lawyer asked Jesus had been carefully framed by the religious leaders. You can find this information in the book Desire of Ages and on page 497. That's by Ellen White. So the same religious leaders who were always arguing about who is my neighbor had convinced this expert in the law of Moses to confront Jesus. It was their hope to entrap Jesus, and so they waited with anticipation and undivided attention. Let's continue now with verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So Whenever Jesus was asked this question, he kind of turned that right back to the expert in the law and um, said, what is your reading of it? Before we look at what the lawyer said, let's think again about his question. Do you remember what he said? Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It is revealing about his personal belief, if you think about that. And also about the uh, belief of most of the Jews of his day. Their concept of righteousness was entirely wrong. Uh, Remember he said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? To him and to most Jews, gaining salvation was a matter of doing things that were prescribed by the scribes. He and they thought salvation could be gained by their works. And so all of this ceremony and rites and following creeds, many of which involved numerous washings, was part of their doing. Also note that Jesus answered the lawyer's question with a question. Did you notice that? He said, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? It should be noted here that it was entirely appropriate for Jesus to extend this courtesy to this lawyer, who was a professor of Jewish law, allowing him an opportunity to share his interpretation. Also, by having the lawyer, the local expert, answer the question, Jesus avoided conflict. Conflict with those religious teachers that were waiting, anticipating hoping to entrap him in something that he said. And so the lawyer, a legal expert in the law of Moses, answered this way, beginning in verse 27 and reading also verse 28. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, 
and your neighbor as yourself. And what did Jesus say? He said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So let's summarize just quickly here. The lawyer had asked a question of Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And Jesus had answered, what do you think? And then the lawyer takes, uh, takes a turn here to share what he thinks must happen. He's quoting, actually, from the Torah, especially uh, it, uh, the, um, beginning with the specific verse that is found uh, today. The verse he, excuse me, I'm getting that confused. Um, the verse he used today is found now in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. This verse and other verses were recited every day, and they still are today by every devout Jew in the morning and in the evening as part of the Shema, the daily prayers. The scripture texts and others were also placed in what is called phylacteries, and what they are is little leather boxes. The religious leaders put text into these little boxes, and then they strapped them onto their left arm and onto their forehead to emphasize the knowing and the doing. To me, this seems a little showy. It's like a look at me kind of thing, maybe. Um, Look at me. See what I know? See what I do? I'm wearing phylacteries. (laughs) So the lawyer, an expert in the law of Moses, most certainly knew the answer to his own question, didn't he? He recited that verse every day, at least twice a day. In verse 28, Jesus commends him with these words. He said, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. You will have eternal life. And then the lawyer, according to verse 29... It says, but he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Uh, Justify himself, why was he trying to do that? He wanted to justify himself as to why he asked Jesus in the first place, since he knew the answer. So this is the question we want to explore today, though. Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who are our neighbors? Jesus answers the lawyer's question and our questions in the story of the Good Samaritan. So let's read this story again as if we were reading it for the very first time. Don't think about, oh, I already know that story. I know what's going to happen. We want to apply it to ourselves today. On July 23, 2016, who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who are our neighbors? Setting the scene for this story of the Good Samaritan is easier for me than it is for some others. Here's why. About 20 years ago, my husband Richard and I were serving in the Ohio Conference, and we were part of a tour group of pastors and conference administrators and and their spouses that traveled to Israel. When I read the story of the Good Samaritan, the scene that comes to my mind is one that I actually saw on the trip. Our tour group was traveling by bus down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and we were actually traveling down. 
Um, Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level, and Jericho is about 700 feet below sea level, and this all happens within about 12 miles. So we were going down, and the tour guide pointed out the barren, rocky mountains out the bus windows. We could also see a narrow, winding road that seemed to just hang on the side of the mountain. That's in my mind forever. And so when I read this story, what I see are barren rocks, the dry and uninhabited desert setting, and that narrow, winding road that clung to the mountain. I think of, and I just lost my son and it came back. Oh, thank you. (laughs) As we know, Jesus often used parables in his teaching. However, as we read in uh, the Desire of Ages, page 499, this story is not a parable, but in fact it was based on a actual incident, one that was probably current news in Jericho. So this is what people were buzzing about, maybe. By the way, Jericho was the home of two of the characters in the story. The priest and the Levite lived in Jericho. And as I was reading in preparation for the sermon, I was also reminded that both of these men, the priest and the Levite, were actually in the crowd that Jesus was teaching. Perhaps they were two of those that were waiting in anticipation of Jesus being entrapped by the lawyer's question. So now let's read the story beginning in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, the story of the good Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of all his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, we're told, was notoriously dangerous. There were many caves in those rocky mountains that provided perfect hideouts for the thieves and robbers. So the fact that a man was beaten and robbed Well, it was probably a familiar story. It was not shocking news, perhaps, in Jericho. But now two genuinely shocking things do happen in Jesus' story regarding a priest who served in the temple, a Levite who assisted the priest in temple duties, and a Samaritan. So let's continue with verse 31. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, the injured one, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. So the priest passed by as if he had not seen the wounded man, who was probably covered with blood and dirt and maybe was moaning and asking for help. And the Levite seems to have been a bit more conscientious than the priest, or perhaps only more curious. However, after he came and looked, he also passed on the other side. Both these men were in sacred offices and professed to be experts in explaining the scriptures. In fact, they were of a class specially assigned and chosen to be representatives of God to the people. They were to lead people to understand God's great love toward humanity. 
And shockingly, they both passed by on the other side of the road. Now to verse 33. We're going to be reading all the way through verse 36 here now. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when they departed, he departed. He took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So Jesus said, Down the road came a Samaritan. Now Jesus is, of course, or was, of course, born into a Jewish household. And the lawyer and the rest of people in that group, including the priest and Levi, of course, were Jewish. The injured man was Jewish. And maybe even the robbers. All were Jews. But here comes a Samaritan. The Jews and Samaritans had a bitter history of racial and religious hatred, going back all the way to the Babylonian exile. Uh, So the Jews and Samaritans were enemies, and they had nothing to do with one another. In fact, it said that probably the injured man did not expect help from one of those despicable Samaritans. He probably would not want any help from a Samaritan and certainly not to be touched by a Samaritan. And he certainly didn't expect that the Samaritan would stop. But it is this Samaritan, despised and rejected, who is nevertheless moved with compassion and who tenderly cares for the injured man. Even though they were enemies, he cared for him. This is the other shocking thing in the story. Surprising, unexpected, something to be wrestled with and puzzled over. And it is the fact that an unwanted, rejected Samaritan is the one who shows mercy on his enemy. He had compassion. He stopped to help. He poured on oil and wine for healing. He bandaged his wounds. He put him on his donkey and brought him to an inn. He personally took care of him. He arranged with the innkeeper for care, paying forward and promising more if needed when he returned. Some years ago, an experiment was conducted with seminary students. Researchers gathered a group of seminary students in a classroom and gave them an assignment. I remember that I used to get lots of assignments um, in in a room from a, a pet professor at seminary. And I kind of can understand the angst of the seminarians. Their assignment was to record a sermon about the parable of the Good Samaritan. The recordings were to be done in a building on the other side of the campus. Isn't that the way it always is? You've got to go someplace to do something. And there was a tight schedule, so they needed to hurry to that building. Unknown to the students uh, on the path to the other building, the researchers had planted an actor to play the part of a man in distress. He's slumped down in the alley, uh, coughing and suffering. The students were going to record a sermon about the Good Samaritan, but the researchers wondered what would happen 
when the seminary students actually encountered a man in need. Would they be good Samaritans? What do you think? Well, as a matter of fact, no, they were not. Almost all of them rushed past the hurting man. One student even stepped over the man's body as he heard to preach about the parable of the good Samaritan. Let me tell you, we should not look down at these seminary students or any other seminary students. They could not put the parable of the Good Samaritan into practice because neither can we. Simply knowing in our minds what the right thing to do is does not mean that we can or will do it. If we're going to be Good Samaritans, our good neighbors, then this will mean more than a change of mind. It will mean a change of heart. And that's what the story of the Good Samaritan is all about, a change of heart. So let's read the last two verses of the story, beginning with verse 36. Jesus asked the lawyer, which, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And what did the lawyer say? By the way, let's just notice, Jesus did something here again about a question. You know, the question was, who is my neighbor? Jesus turned that into a more important question. It was, am I a good neighbor? That's what he's answering. Am I a good neighbor? And so the lawyer answered Jesus' question, and he said, he who showed mercy on him. He who showed mercy on him. See, the Samaritan, the uh, lawyer still could not say the Samaritan who showed mercy on him. Even though the lawyer was able to correctly answer the question, teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? By quoting text, which were in fact part of his daily prayers and in the morning and in the afternoon, when he answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, he still did not get it. He did not understand the greater meaning of the words he repeated at least twice a day, that all the commandments are summed up in this one expression, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Neighbor in this context refers to anyone we may come in contact with, a relative, a friend, a co-worker, a fellow church member, the person who lives next door to you or in your neighborhood, or a complete stranger that we pass on the street. All are our neighbors. When we love others the way that Jesus wants us to love, the love in us will move us into action. There will be a change of heart. We will serve others because we love them in the same way that we obey the Lord because we love him. Not only will we talk the talk, we will walk the walk. The principle illustrated in the story of the Good Samaritan was evident in the life of Jesus. Of course, his character revealed the true significance of the law and showed what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. The following is a quote from The Desire of Ages by Ellen White, and she was speaking about the story of the Good Samaritan 
It's kind of in old English, but I believe you'll understand it very clearly. The lesson is no less needed in the world today than when it fell from the lips of Jesus. Selfishness and cold formality have well nigh extinguished the fire of love and dispelled the graces that should make fragrant the character. Didn't sound, it, it sounds different, but we know what it means, don't we? Many who profess his name have lost sight of the fact that Christians are to represent Christ. Unless there is practical self-sacrifice for the good of others, in the family circle, in the neighborhood, in the church, or wherever we may be, then whatever our profession, we are not Christians. Jesus finished the story of the Good Samaritan with three memorable words. He said to the lawyer, referring to the actions of the Good Samaritan, what did he say? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And I believe that is his instruction for us today as well. July 23, 2016. His selfless love is our example of how we're going to give ourselves for others. Just this week, I was listening to John Bradshaw, a daily devotional, and he shared the text Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all, into all the world, and then the end will come. Then Pastor Bradshaw did something like the lawyer. He answered, he asked a question, and then he answered it. He said, but how will this happen? And like the lawyer in the story, he answered his own question by saying, not without other people. In fact, he added, it's simple. Open your mouth and speak something for Jesus. I thought that was pretty simple. And that's something that all of us can do. May God help us all indeed to walk the walk in serving our neighbors by opening our mouth and sharing the love of Jesus. This is my prayer.